If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn uh, to the letter to the Ephesians just for a moment or two. We're looking at the letter to the Ephesians, and um, I just want to take a moment or two just to uh, paint a picture and and a little bit of background, and uh, then we're going to look at the text together in in a moment. So uh, if you're here for the first time this morning, just want to just say to you that this is a a series of, of messages that we've been looking at together uh, looking at this letter and in, in unpacking the practical and spiritual dimensions for life today. And so some things are going to appear up on the screen. Not the whole text, but just some points, just so you can sort of hinge some of what you're hearing with also what you see as well at the same time. So what I've been saying is this, that in this, this letter, this book, it's called Ephesians, there are six chapters. We're now halfway. We're halfway. We're, the, we're halfway to the finish, as it were. And uh, the first three chapters have looked at our position. I can't stress enough the need and desire for you and I to know our position in God. There's a pastor in America called Mark Driscoll in a church called Mars Hill. He's took the letter to the Ephesians and it's all based I am. He's looking at his position. If you can go on uh, their website and download their app so you can hear some of the messages that they're sharing. He's looking, it's interesting that he's took the theme of position a bit differently from me, but each thought is this, I am, I am, you know, I am saved, I am in heaven, I am a new creation, and he's unpacked the chapter by chapter. And I can't stress enough that our position, and so Paul the Apostle shares in this letter to a group of people the amazing position that we have. And so, and just the key word there is this idea of being seated. Seated, Christ is seated in the heavenly realms, and all the riches that we have are seated with Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, we, we've been looking at this in great detail. And the, the theme, the key theme is to be seated in heaven and be in Christ. And that you and I as Christians are incredibly rich. You may have forgotten that it's a long time ago that we started to look at this, but we have all the mercy, the love, the grace of God, and Jesus is seated in the, in the heavenly realms. And in Jesus Christ, you and I are considered to be in him. It's in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And all the riches of God and heaven are in him and for you and I. But not only that, that you and I, in chapter 2, verses 6 to 9, um, also speak about this idea that not only is Jesus, but you and I as believers, we are now seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms, in heaven. Our position is in a heavenly place. And all the riches, the love, the mercy, the power, the presence, the peace of God in heaven is us for us. We're part of the family of God. I get excited about it because We're now in the family of God, and we looked at this idea of being adopted. And to be adopted and to be found in Christ, to be in heaven, isn't just pie in the sky until you get there, but it's for us on earth. We have an inheritance as being adopted in the family. We looked at this idea of inheritance. Adoption means you have all the benefits of that family. And now as being in Christ and seated in heaven, we have all the benefits of heaven. Many, many people don't realize the position that we have. We have to understand our position. And so Paul spends three, now we call them chapters, looking at position. I can't stress enough to you and I to know who we are in God and in Christ and to know the love of God. This is why Paul always talks about, and Jesus talked about knowing God's love in the, in the, letter to the, Reve- in the book of Revelation. The church there is spoken about losing its first love and being restored in its love to know our position therefore. And that's what we've been looking at for some time. So I don't want to go on um, uh, anymore. So uh, the second now we're now moving as if there's a, a gear shift. 
There's a change now in emphasis, moving forward with a sense of momentum. And in chapters 4 to 6, Paul now begins to speak about practice. All the benefits, all of heaven, all that love, all that generosity, all that peace, all that mercy, all that goodness, the presence, the the friendship of God, Jesus said, you're now my friends. All of that that's in our lives, for our lives, that we are based in our position. Now he says, now let that be released in your life. Practice. Practice. And um, in chapter uh, 4, verse 1, it says there, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Chapter 4, verse 1. We'll look at it in detail in a moment. But the idea is there, it says, Live a life worthy of your calling. The word there, to live your lead a life, or live a life, is literally the word walk. Interesting word, that. It's translated in the NIV as lead a life or live a life. In the King James Authorized, the literal translation, it says walk. Walk in a way that's worthy. Lead a life. Walk. It's interesting. In chapters 1 to 3, it's about being seated. In chapters 4 to 6, it's about now our walk. We are seated, but our position, now it's our walk. It's our practice. It's incredible. Paul has a strategy. It's not by chance. He's actually doing something. He has a a purpose in what he's sharing as he seeks to share our way and life in God. Jesus said, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men to the disciples. The early disciples in the book of Acts were called followers or people of the way. It's a walk. Our Christian faith is not just something that we think about. It's something that we live about as well. It's a walk, a way of life. And Paul is now sharing this. Um, if you, I haven't got time to read it now, but if you um, get hold of a copy of the message and read chapter 4, verses 1 to 7 in the message, and it speaks about how this is a way of walking. And it, uh, the translator says that not just walk, but run in a way that's right in God. Uh, it's really interesting. So um, what, what we found is, is, is this. If I can get used to it, that's it. Um, what we believe will influence how we behave. That's not just a bit of nice bit of pop psychology. It's biblical. Have the mind of Christ. We have to have the mind of Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's in the book of Romans. And um, there is this idea of what we believe influences the way we behave. This is why Paul says you need to know your position. What do you believe? Who are you? What you believe about yourself. I've spent a long time talking. I meet people that look wonderful, and yet they look in the mirror and say, I look ugly. And they live a life. I've met people who are really capable people, and yet they say, I'm no good, I'm no good. Because they've been told by somebody, you'll never get to be anything, you're no good. And they believe that they're no good, and they live like that, even though that they are really very good. That's why we need the transformation of the mind of Christ to be renewed, a new heart, new hope. And that's why, so it's so important, so Paul spends a long time, your position, your position, who you are, you're new, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're beloved. God thinks you're amazing, you're a new creation, this is a new life, a new, a new day, a new, a new chance, a new opportunity. You can be a new person, you can be renewed in your heart. And Sammy's talked about people that were ruined and now renewed. This, this idea of knowing who you are in God. It's remarkable. And so position and practice go hand in hand. What I would say in another way, no, go back a bit, sorry. What I'd say in another way is that a heavenly perspective gives momentum for earthly practice. I've talked about perspective, your outlook. 
uh, it says, turn our outlook into an outlook. If you really want to go on and get on in life, turn your outlook into an outlook. Look at God. Look towards God. Live for God. And your, your life will change for the better and for good because God knows the best way that we can live our lives. And so a heavenly perspective gives momentum to earthly practice. What I mean by that is when you're going through, that's a nice little soundbite. Well, it's more than that. When you go through trial and difficulty, it's a perspective that you are beloved by God, even though you might not feel him at the time, that will give you energy and help you go forward in your earthly life. So we looked at it, didn't we? A prison perspective. Can you remember that message? You might not remember. Where Paul is chained to a Roman soldier and he can't move. And yet he says... Chained, his body was chained, but his heart and spirit was set free because he knew he was free in Christ. And it gave him energy to deal with the suffering that he felt right there. I've met people that will say, even though I know that life is falling apart around me, it appears to be, uh, the doctors said this to me, and this has happened in my family, I just know that God loves me and he's here and we're somehow going to get through this. Heavenly perspective gives energy for earthly life and practice. So this is why Paul spends such a long time, I've spent a bit of a time, just talking about then um, position. Now we're going to move on. So uh, you can listen to all of that. It's online. It's for free. You can listen to this idea of knowing who you are, getting a, a new perspective on life and seeing God in your life. Even when you don't feel God in your life, you can still see him. It's remarkable how the Spirit of God can show Jesus in our hearts and lives. So this morning I want to speak about um, unity and diversity. And uh, it's based on Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 7. So let's read that together, shall we? Chapter 4, verse 1 reads like this of Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. There's this idea of be one, be united, because God is one. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, but, then there's a but, to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But to each one of us, the charis or the free will, forgiveness and grace of God is given to each one. So we want to speak about unity and this idea of us being one and yet being so many individuals. And that's the picture of the body of Christ the body of Christ is a lot of, lots of, lots of myriad of people, lots of individuals, but we're called to be one. And it's the power of unity that, um, that we are called to display. And it's what Paul now begins to speak about. He says, of all these amazing riches that there are in heaven, 
that there are at the disposal of you and I, all the love, the forgiveness, the hope, the presence of God, that is displayed as in a myriad of ways through our own individual lives, but also as we come and we, our hearts flow together. And that flowing together and being as one reflects God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, who are also one. One God, one Father, one Spirit, one Son. And it reflects and mirrors the power of heaven. And it's in that way that heaven is released on the face of the earth, and people will see that. And so Paul now spends quite a long time in the light of, therefore, this great position, now walk in a way that is worthy. And the way which is worthy, the way which honors God, is many individual lives, but in a way that where our hearts can begin to beat as one. So that's what he begins to say. And that's where we're going to go um, over the next few minutes. So, uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, what is unity, um, why unity, and then um, finish and look at how can we build unity. And we're going to look at those things together. So what is unity then, And um, as, we, as we look at this text? What we're speaking about here is uh, unity, not uniformity. Um, it, it allows us for us to be diverse. Um, uniformity says you will look like, we'll all dress like, we'll all act like, you take the party line like, you have to say like, we will all actually be organically as one individual almost. We'll all think and act exactly the same. That's uniformity. It's from the outside in. And, um, you know, in certain parts of the world where you have a dictatorship, uh, there is uniformity. The whole nation is um, told, this is the way that you do it. This is how you act. This is how you dress. This is how we all dress. And it's uh, in its most extreme form of uniformity. It, it's, it's on the outside uh, coming in. But unity is actually works on the inside and is displayed out. For the kingdom of God comes within and is displayed on the outside. And so in earthly life and in church life, we tr- sometimes mistake uniformity all looking the same, all saying the same, all taking the party line, even if you don't believe it, an external thing that sort of tries to hold everyone in as being united. But it's not. It's actually what's in our hearts that is going to count and will come on the outside. To put it another way, and I've written it there, it's not so much the structure, but the spirit of the structure. And it's about our heart. Where's our heart? How is our heart? And this is why Paul has spent a long time speaking about having a heart that is full of love, a heart that is full of Christ. It's about us positioning our hearts and lining up our hearts with Christ and God. Uniformity says you'll do this. This is how we'll do it. The church says this. Um, The dictate is that, and that's what you do. But unity, Paul is saying, is when every individual matches up their heart with God and Christ and lives for God and lives for Christ. And our heart is lining up with the heart of God. Now, that might sound simplistic, but it's as simple as that. So each one of us, you and me, has a call on our lives to live for God and to line up our hearts with God. And if we truly line up with the heart of God and the Holy Spirit, an amazing thing happens. We all begin to be drawn and pulled together because it's one God, one Spirit, One Lord, one baptism, one hope. 
It's quite remarkable. So it's about the heart and the grace of God and his love. This is why Paul spends a long time about knowing his love, being seated in his love, being filled with God, living for God, positioning ourselves, repositioning ourselves. And so this idea there of unity, therefore, is about the spirit of the structure. It's our hearts. It's about our hearts. Where is your heart? How is your heart towards God? And then with that, it will be displayed towards each other. Because if we're lining up our hearts with God and the Holy Spirit and living for God, you might say, well, I'm sitting here this morning. Well, you can be sitting here this morning, but not really living for God. Don't take that the wrong way, but you could be. It's not where we sit. It's where we sit in heaven. And it's our hearts with God. So it's, we, we make it our life to live and love God, to say, this is my heart and life. When worshipping this morning, we open our hands and our hearts and saying, I love you, God. I want to live for you. This is my heart. There's things in my life that maybe need rearranging. We've talked a lot about that. And that's what it means to begin to unite our hearts to God. And as we unite our hearts to God, that is worked out as we then begin to unite our hearts towards one another. We'll look at how we do that in a moment or two, and it will be maybe explained a little more. So... It's really it's about the state of the heart, uh, where it is in God and, and where it is then with each other. So why unity then? Well, there are some amazing verses of the Bible. Turn with them really quickly because I think we should read them. Uh, why should we be united then? Uh, we can see what it is, where the heart is, where the heart is with the Holy Spirit, God and each other, about being drawn to Jesus, drawn to each other. We begin to move in the same direction, the same way. If we move in the Spirit, the Spirit will draw us the same way. Ask yourself, where are you moving? Um, Why is it so important? Psalm 133 reads like this. If you don't have a Bible, then just listen to this. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 133. And this is the importance of having a heart that is united to God and then drawn towards um, one another. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar and his robes. It is um, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. God's love, God's presence, God's hope, God's forgiveness, all the riches of heaven are bestowed, they are given, they're commanded upon the lives of people when their lives are in tune with the heartbeat of God. And as we in tune with the heartbeat of God, we become in tune with each other's heart too. It's when we pull our own way and unforgive and don't like and fall out with and not talk to and I'm not going to do and I don't agree with and I'm going to go here that God withdraws his hand, as it were, almost. That his blessing doesn't seem to flow in our hearts and in our hearts and in our lives. Why is that? Look at John coming to the New Testament. John's gospel takes it, uh, explains, Jesus explains why. Psalm 133 is just one evidence in the Old Testament. But then we see in John chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus says this. John 17, 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples only. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and I. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I are, as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In them, I in them, and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me even though, even as you have loved, loved them even though as you have loved me. So there's this idea that Jesus' high priestly prayer is that we might be at one, just as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in heart unity. They're individuals, but their hearts are one. They move as one. They move the same direction, the same motivation, the same urge, the same heartbeat, the same love. And so Jesus says that he wants that to be, that we, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father is in us and through us, and also that we are in and through in each other's lives as well. So the importance then, it's, it's incredible. Then it's a reflection of the Trinity. As Christians, we believe that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, the three in one, a triunity. The Trinity is a triunity. The word Trinity doesn't appear in the pages of the Bible. It's something that early, early church scholars um, brought together to describe the observation of in the Bible that there's the the individuality of the Father as being God, the Son as being God, and also the Holy Spirit being of the person of God. And uh, they brought together a theological term called the Trinity, which means three in one, three and yet unity. And so the reflection of our God is a heartbeat that unites. And that's why, if we want to know the riches, we need to reflect his glory. Jesus said, my glory will be in you. It's quite remarkable. I in you, me in you, me in them, you in me. So we've looked at briefly then, uh, coming to a conclusion in a moment, you know, you know this idea of what is the, this idea of unity, the heart, uh, the, the spirit of it all, um, not so much the external, but what's in our hearts will be played out then in our lives. Um, the importance of why, we've briefly looked at this aspect of God's Flow. If you want your church to be a place of blessing, if you want your life to be a life of hope, to know the flow of God, then we need to be united to God and to also our hearts to one another as well and not let anything get in the way of that. And then finally, okay then, that's great. How do we build unity? How do we... Uh, and so Paul shares in this, these few verses a number of ways in which we can build unity. And... Um, He says, yeah, okay, that's come up there. So uh, first he says there, be humble. There's a number of things that he shares. He says, be completely humble. There's a number of attributes that help build unity, and we're going to just list them. They sort of speak for themselves, but it's a great idea. It's all fluffy and lovely. It sounds amazing. It would be a great life if we can live like this, if only, you know, in family life, home life, work life, church life, you know, there's this disunity that can come. So there's some things that Paul says to be released in our walk, to practice. And so he says, be humble. This idea of humility, another word could be, is the idea of humility. Um, I heard somebody say, people with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less. Think, of that, think about that for a moment. Bit of a tongue twister at first, but it's not a limerick. People with humility, the humble, they don't think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less. 
Less of me, more of God, in other words. We are in our place. Not as a servile worm on the floor, but we just think, what a great God. Thank God for life. What an amazing God. This is why we need to know who God is in our position, you see. Um, a man called Kevin Gerald said that from the Champion Center in Tahoma, United States. In other words, it would be this. We don't put ourselves down. We just lift others up. To be humble, you don't put yourself down. Oh, wretched person, I'm filth, I'm a rag. It doesn't mean that. We don't put ourselves down. We just lift others up. We think of others first. We, it, it, it's others. We think of God first. God, we lift you up. We then lift others. It's, it's you, what you want, what you think. And uh, what, what, what about others and their lives? And then I come after that. That's what it means to be humble, to come with humility. And Paul says, work on that. He then goes on to say, be humble, be gentle. The word gentle is, is another term. Um, it's the word meek, to be meek. An, an older translation you, you, translates the word gentle there to the word meekness. And so we're thinking of others, thinking of God, putting God first. This idea then of gentleness or meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It was, it's being viewed as to be weak, to be a doormat. But the word literally means, um, it's a word that was used of a colt, a young colt or young horse that is vigorous, alive, got life powerful, but has been tamed to some degree and has um, got itself in control. And to be meek is to have great vigor, life and power, but to have that to have a sense of self-control of that. A bit like um, a, um, you know, you've got a couple of dogs. You've got a, a little yappy puppy and you've got a larger dog that could swipe it out the way. And you think, well, he's, he's a gentle giant, really. You hear people say about their dog. They all, is it, why is it people say, oh, he's this gentle giant, really. And you go, row, 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 and as you go to the door. It's always the way, isn't it? He's a gentle giant, really. But it's the picture there, meekness, is this idea of a, of, a, of a really powerful pet or dog who puts up with a little yappy puppy yapping around and, and doesn't swipe it out the way, but sort of this idea of, of being a sense of self-control, gentleness. And there's something in our lives. You might know the best way, but you don't just ram it down somebody's throat and say, you're wrong, I'm right, this is the best way. There's something you know that you might be right, but there's a way of having a sense of self-control in there. And so there's this idea of, of uh, humility, gentleness. He goes on to say, be patient. Another, another term is long-suffering. The word patience there it literally means not patient with things. You know, you're putting up a, a cupboard and you're, you're screwing it into the wall and you've got to get patience to get it marked right. It's not with things. The word patient here is with people. It's a particular word that's, that's used with people. So the word patient isn't just being patient with life and things, but patient with people. You know, the way we work out with each other. Because we're only made of clay and we rub each other up the wrong way. So it's to be long-suffering or patient. It goes on to say there, uh, a fourth thing there. Um, if it comes up. Yeah, it will do. Bearing with one another in love. In other words, holding each other up. Um, in the series Miranda, a friend Tilly, always when she gets a phone call, it's bear with, bear with. And the phone comes through. And this idea of, hang on a moment, it doesn't quite mean that one. It means um, this idea of um, bearing with one another. It's not bear with, 
You know, it's more really coming alongside, uh, going the extra mile, uh, putting up with some of the foibles that I have and you have. And we, we, just, we understand each other. We know where you're coming from because you know where someone comes from. You don't let them get away with murder, but you, you say, I sort of know where they're coming from. I understand why they might be on a hobby horse and getting a bit upset there. We bear with them. That's what it literally means there. To in love. And you can only do that with love. The Christ-like love. The grace of God. Divine love. That's why we need to know the flow of the love of God. You can't force this on the outside. It's not a dictate. It's a flow of love. But it comes out in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. goes on to say, and make every effort. Do you notice there? It says there, make every effort. Do all that you can. And in this gentleness, in this humility, in this patience, he says there, bearing with one another through the bond of peace, he talks this idea of doing all that we can, doing everything that we possibly can to to, uh, stand with each other with a bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort there, it says in verse 3. And so that means you leave no stone unturned. That's a tall order, isn't it? If someone rubs you up the wrong way or you disagree with them, you don't like the doctrine that's being preached or the sound of the music or the colour of the carpet. In India, it would be that you don't have any food and you could be lying in a gutter. Make every effort. Don't leave any stone unturned. To do what? To maintain or keep the bond of peace. Peace is like a bond. Peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker or a fence maker? Jesus, we looked at, is the great peacemaker. He's the bridge builder in chief. Remember we looked at this idea, Pontifax Maximus, the bridge builder in chief. Jesus on the cross with his hands outstretched. There was a great chasm in our hearts between us and God and in the universe. And Jesus, hands outstretched, built the bridge that was, took my hand and placed it in the hands of the Father on the cross. He's the bridge builder in chief. We're to build bridges, bond of peace. Are we peacemakers, bridge builders, or do we make fences? Do we maintain the fence? Do we maintain our fences? Today our fences are getting ever higher, aren't they? People's lalandi are getting to about 15 to 20 foot. Our fences get greater today because we want to keep our own little kingdoms, don't we? But um, in God, we're to the bond of pull down the fences and the offences, the things that wind us up, and be the first to pull a fence down or to bridge a gap to keep the bond of peace. I've heard it said, if we are to show the crown jewels of God's riches, and we've been looking at the jewels, the riches of God, that where he lavishes his riches upon us, we've been looking at this in Ephesians, if we're to show the crown jewels of God's riches to the world, then rather than the fake imitation then we must be united. Paul says, show the world. Jesus said, they will become to believe when they see. They'll believe in me when they see that you are one. They'll know the riches. Let's pray together. So we're going to take communion as we close this morning. And... uh, Heavenly Father, we say thank you that, Lord Jesus, that you pulled down every barrier, the dividing curtain that was between us and God. 
the, the great Grand Canyon chasm that was so wide I could never get across it to find God. But you bridged that gap in the universe, that gap in my spirit, in my heart, between me and God because of my sin. You bridged that with your own life, Lord. You give me the bond of peace. You've made peace for me between me and God. That's amazing. And so now this morning we just, we just open up our hearts to you and say thank you that you have made peace. And so now we too, likewise, you say, now go and do likewise. Take this peace that you have within your hearts, the position that you have, and now give it away to the world. Wherever you go, be a bridge builder, be a peacemaker. Don't put up fences. Don't allow fences and offenses to get in the way that stop the flow of the Holy Spirit. But be a peacemaker. The bond of peace. So, Father, we say thank you. As we take communion this morning, we thank you that your body became broken, that we might be whole. We thank you that your blood was poured out, that we might be healed, renewed in mind and heart. We who are many individuals, as the gift of grace has been given on every individual, we're so diverse, although we are united. I'm me. We have different views, different hopes, different aspirations, different understandings perhaps. And yet our hearts can be one in love and hope. We relish the fact that I can be me. I don't have to be like somebody else to be united and be one. I can still be my own person. Your grace is on my life according to every individual. And yet you want our hearts to be united to Christ and to each other as we make peace and build bridges. And so we thank you as we take this communion. You've made a bridge of peace for me in your own body. And now likewise, we receive and accept that peace this morning. But also we're reminded that as we take this communion, we follow you and give it all away too. In Jesus' name. Amen.